0: Thanks for joining us for our preaching podcast for the Point Church, Alberta campus. We believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. We pray that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the Point. Good morning, church. Pastor Josh with you today. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, would you open them up to the book of Nehemiah chapter 4? We are in our third week in a series which we have entitled Rebuild. And in this series, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and we're seeing how God used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild the faith of God's people. Now, two weeks ago, as we began this series, we looked at Nehemiah chapter 1. And in this series, we we saw as, as Nehemiah received the report from Jerusalem about the state of the walls, the state of the city, And it burdened his heart. And then we spent a lot of time looking at Nehemiah's prayer as God gave him a heavy burden for his city. Then last week, we looked at chapter 2. And and in chapter 2, Nehemiah had the opportunity to finally act on this burden that God had had given him. And so Nehemiah talks to the king, and the king allows him to travel to Jerusalem. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He surveys the walls, and he encounters his first bit of opposition. As the narrative continues into chapter 3, we were given an account of how the work proceeded. We're we're told how Nehemiah gathered the people and they each took a section of the wall and they built the wall simultaneously together, one piece at a time, but but all at the same time in order to rebuild the wall. And that brings us to chapter 4. The work has begun. The people of Judah are are working on the wall. They're repairing the wall. Um, They've been getting ready to close the breaches, and rumor travels to some of Nehemiah's opponents about what's going on. And in in this, we're going to uh, see how Nehemiah responds. Now, as as we've been studying these Old Testament narratives, you you may have noticed that, that there's not really frequently a command for us to follow. Um, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to see, well, how does this apply to us? It it doesn't tell us, hey, do this or or don't do this. Rather, what we're seeing is a historical account of how God's people lived their their lives in in the face of persecution, in the face of opposition, how they served the Lord in their day-to-day life following the Babylonian captivity. So, with that in mind, today, as we study this chapter of Nehemiah, I thought what we could do is, is look at this text and, and try to pull one big idea, to, to look and see what Nehemiah does and, and see how this will help us to follow Christ nearly 2,500 years after the events that we're reading about. So, here it is. Here's our big idea for the text for today. Our big idea for today is that in the face of opposition to God's work, we pray, we trust and we continue. That's it. In the face of opposition to God's work, pray, trust, and continue. Now, we've got the big idea. Let's see how we find that there. Take a look with me, starting at verse 1. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, and what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone walls. Now, as we look at the opposition that Nehemiah faced in this chapter, you might have noticed already that there's kind of an escalating level of opposition that he encounters. Here, the opposition starts with words. And while many of us can recite the old children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We say that. The fact is, it's not true. Oftentimes, words do hurt. In fact, it appears that Sanballat and Tobiah are, are using words aimed right at Nehemiah's workers, almost like psychological warfare. Sanballat's questions uh, come in a series of, of questions and they're, they're meant to hit a nerve. He, he asks, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the walls themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the rubbish and, and burned ones at that? Each of these questions is meant to strike hard. The Jews weren't as numerous as they had once been. They weren't up to the task like they might have been at one time when they had greater strength. They, they had bitten off more than they could chew. They were trying to rebuild with stones that were worthless. In the fires when the city was besieged 150 years ago, the, the chemical structure of the rocks was changed and those stones would just crumble. They were wasting their time. And Tobiah, as he speaks up, he seems to me like one of those cheesy cartoon villains who kind of speaks up on the side, right? Like, what's this dude even there for? But, but he speaks up, and, and the, the point of what he's saying is clear. The work that they're doing is so shoddy that even if a small animal jumps up on it, the walls are just going to fall down, right? That's, that's what he adds to the conversation there. You, you get the idea. These guys are trying to demoralize Nehemiah and his men, They're trying to get them to throw in the towel. But I want you to see that that Nehemiah responds first in prayer. I want you to see that. Take a look with me, verses four and five. Nehemiah prays, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, now, as we look at this prayer, the first thing Nehemiah does as he prays, as he hears this response, the first thing he does is pray. And, and so often when we think about what we're going to do in the face of opposition or, or a setback, prayer is not our first response, but it should be. In fact, uh, Old Testament scholar Mervyn Brenneman commented that God's people should always regard prayer not as a last resort, but as our primary weapon against opposition, prayer is important. But as we look at Nehemiah's prayer here in our text, uh, as I want you to see how he prayed. You may have noticed that how he prayed is a little bit different than how we might pray from day to day. What we're seeing here is what's called in, in kind of scholarly circles an imprecatory prayer. It's a prayer that asks God to deal harshly with someone's enemies. And at first glance, it might leave you wondering how this kind of a prayer aligns with what Christ taught us when he commanded us to love our enemies. So as we consider this prayer that Nehemiah prayed, I think I'd like to make just kind of three observations for you today, three things to consider. First, I want you to see that although this prayer seems angry, any anger that Nehemiah has prayed here is not directed at Nehemiah's opponents. Any anger that we might sense in this prayer from Nehemiah is anger that is filtered through God. Nehemiah is channeling his frustration straight to God. In essence, he's giving his problem to God. He's saying, I need your help in this, Lord. I need you to to help. I'm angry. I don't know how to deal with this problem. Would you help me here? Next thing I need you to know is that anger in and of itself is not sinful. In fact, as Christians, we're commanded in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opposition to the devil. You see, it's okay to be angry as long as it's handled correctly, but anger that is pent up can quickly sow the seeds of sin. And so Nehemiah expresses his very real emotion and he does so to God. But I also want you to recognize that this prayer is a call for God to act. Nehemiah is asking God to work for his people. He's asking for help from God. He's not asking permission to take personal vengeance. You see here, what Nehemiah is doing is he's living out the command that we read last week in Romans chapter 12. When when we were told in verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Nehemiah is giving his vengeance to God in this prayer. The last observation I want to make about Nehemiah's prayer is that we need to understand that this request in verse 5, for God not to cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from God's sight is not a prayer that his enemies would not find salvation. This is not a prayer against their salvation, but a prayer for divine justice. You see, ultimately, Sanballat, Tobiah, and all of his friends were not just sinning against the people of Israel. They were sinning against God, against God's mission. And so Nehemiah prays, asking God's justice to reign supreme. And finally, I want you to see that this prayer expressed a a real zeal for God for his work, for his honor. Nehemiah understood that everything that was happening was to restore the wall, was to restore God's fame, to restore God's people. And so any opposition that may come against Nehemiah was not just opposition against Nehemiah and his men. It was opposition against God. And so Nehemiah's first response to this opposition was to take his anger, his worry, his fear, and place it right in God's lap. He's trusting God would take care of things. And then as Nehemiah prayed, as as he placed his trust in God, I also want you to notice how in verse six, they continued the work. Verse six says, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work in spite of the mockery, in spite of the psychological warfare that they were encountering, they continued to work. They continued to rebuild the wall to half its height, and and they did so because they had a mind to work. And that word here that is mind in the Hebrew is lev, and it's more commonly translated as heart. The people had a heart for the work. They had a heart to do the work of God. They had a heart for the things that God desired. Regardless of opposition, regardless of mockery, they pressed forward. In fact, in, in the face of opposition to God's work, you can see in just this first little part here that they prayed, that they trusted God, and that they continued the work. But as the narrative continues, we learn that Sanballat and Tobiah were not content with just words. They weren't content just to call names. If we go back to our text starting at verse 7, we'll see what happens. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And I want to pause for just a moment and point out that things have escalated rather quickly here. Sanballat has gone and he's formed some alliances to completely surround Jerusalem. It's hard to see that just in the text, but that's what we're seeing here. Sanballat was governing Samaria, which was to the north. Tobiah and the Ammonites were out to the east. The Arabs were in the south. The Ashdodites were in the west. This has escalated from a war of words to a genuine physical threat. And we see that in verse eight. We see that they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. Things have gotten a lot more serious. Nehemiah and his brothers are facing a more severe opposition at this point, but I want you to see again how Nehemiah responds. He says in verse nine, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. What was the first thing that Nehemiah did there? He prayed. Why? Why did he pray? Why didn't they just put on their armor and, and get their weapons and go out and get ready for a fight? Why, why didn't they go to Sanballat and, and put him in his place? Remember, Nehemiah is a servant of Artaxerxes, and so is Sanballat. Sanballat is a servant of Artaxerxes. Why, why, not, why, why not go to him first? Why is step one, pray? Maybe. Maybe it's because Nehemiah got the bigger picture. Maybe it's because Nehemiah understood that there's more than just a temporal warfare that's going on here. Maybe it's because Nehemiah remembered that this was God's project. Maybe this prayer is a lot less about fear and a lot more about remembering who is in charge. This moment of prayer is a moment to be encouraged. A moment to remember that this is God's project and God is in control. And other, unlike other areas in the book of Nehemiah where we actually get to read Nehemiah's prayer, we don't get that here. We don't know what Nehemiah prayed. Maybe he prayed, God, you've, got to, you've put this burden on our hearts and, and we've seen you working to make it happen. So would you give us the strength to carry through to the end? Or maybe he, maybe he prayed, God, you see what's happening. We need you to encourage us as we go forward. We, we don't know what they prayed for sure, but it was probably something like that. Either way, the result is clear. Nehemiah prayed and, and then they took some precautions. They, they placed their faith and their trust in God and then they set a guard and they resumed their work. And as we think about what that means for us, I I think it's important to remember here that that as we're serving the Lord, when we encounter opposition, when we see setbacks, our step one needs to be the same as Nehemiah's. Our step one has got to be prayer. Maybe it's prayer for help. Maybe it's prayer to seek the Lord's guidance to, to ensure that we are still on the path that God has placed us on as we're following him. Maybe it's prayer for encouragement. But like Nehemiah, our step one has got to be prayer. Because sooner or later, if we're working, we're going to get tired. Our our humanity is going to peek out and show itself. And we're going to need the Lord's help as we serve him. And as we go into the next few verses in this narrative, that's what we're going to see happen to the people in Israel. Take a look, verses 10 through 13. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Now, as we read these verses here, it really feels like one thing is kind of piling on top of another. One concern, one worry, one fear on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. Some people are saying, we're tired. We've been doing this. This is more than we can handle. The material, it's not just building the wall. We've got to clear out the rubble. We can't handle this. It's too much. We can't do it by ourselves. And then there are others who are saying, our enemies are planning attacks. They're gonna come in amongst us and kill us and we're not even gonna see it happening. And then there's the rumors. they are Israelite friends who live out near where their enemies, where their opponents are at are coming and saying, guys, you have got to quit this off. You gotta come home. You've got to get out of here. They're coming for you. They're going to kill you. What this really is, is just discouragement on top of discouragement. And we've all experienced this in life, right? Our, our, our discouragement comes one, maybe it's one thing and then it's another. One setback and then we have a worry and we have fear and we have doubt and we have stress. But, but look how Nehemiah responded. In verses 13 and 14, he says, so in the lower parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, "Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes." First, Nehemiah took some practical steps. If there's a threat, let's prepare for that threat. That's what he does there. He grouped the families together as clans, as as families, people who knew each other, who loved each other, because he knew that if they were together with their loved ones, they would fight harder and better for their people should an attack come. But more important than all of that, I want you to look at what Nehemiah told the people. He gets up in front of the people and he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When Nehemiah says that the Lord is great and awesome, we cannot let our modern sensibilities and our modern understanding of that word awesome obscure what's being said here. This isn't like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Awesome, dude. No, this is awesome. Like it means to inspire awe. That's what the term means. It means to stand in fear. Charles Fensham said that it is that which is wonderful, which is astonishing, but which inspires awe. Have you ever gone to the Grand Canyon and you walk out right up to the rim of the canyon and you look out over the canyon or maybe you've gone out to the Pacific Ocean or, or the Atlantic or even the Gulf of Mexico here in Pensacola and lower Alabama. You go out to the, to the ocean and you look out on the sea and you see the vastness of the sea. And as you do that, either at the ocean or, or at the Grand Canyon, you, you feel this, this kind of tingle run down your back. That's awe. That's God reminding you that he created all of this. That's what this is talking about here. God is awesome. He inspires awe. And Nehemiah is telling the people to remember God. Remember how he has inspired awe in the past along their journey as they followed him how he had placed Nehemiah in the court, in the very throne room of Artaxerxes to hear word about Jerusalem, to have a position where he could speak to the king, how he gave Nehemiah the boldness to stand up in front of the king and make his request, how he softened the heart of Artaxerxes to let Nehemiah go and lead this effort to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And not just that, he paid for it. Because God was at work. Nehemiah is reminding the people to remember of all these ways that God had been at work in their past so that they would know that God would be at work in their present and their future as well, that God really could be trusted. And that's important for us to do too. You know, as I studied this text, I I love this part of the text because it's just completely honest. When we undertake things for the Lord, it, it, at first it's exciting. It's a new thing. And we start to have some successes. We get to do some good work for God and, and we make progress. And, and then as we go, we encounter opposition or we encounter setbacks, just like the people in Jerusalem. And, and because we're human, because we're broken sinners, sometimes those setbacks or that opposition can, can cause us to react the same way that Nehemiah's people did. We have worries or fear or stress. For me, I think about this Alberta campus that we have and how last summer, our regular Sunday attendance, we were averaging about 100 people every Sunday through the summer and in the fall. And then COVID-19 comes and we had to shut our doors completely. And, and for a minute, there was this temptation to worry. There was a temptation to fear, but but we took the necessary steps, we increased our online presence at both campuses. We started making phone calls, and all of us, all of us learned how to use Zoom. Had any of you heard of Zoom before about February of this year? I don't think most of us had, but more important than that, I reminded myself and, and we as a staff, we reminded ourselves of how God has been at work in Alberta. You see all throughout the winter and, and in the spring leading up to this COVID 19 Pandemic. God has been at work. God has been working to make this merger with First Baptist Church of Alberta happen. He he brought these two churches together. He he gave us buildings. He gave us the money to, to renovate those buildings, to bring them up to a higher standard of cleanliness and, and performance so that we can serve our community well. But more important than that, he gave us people he gave us more people, the members of First Baptist, many of whom have a great amount of experience and age following Christ. You see, what God was doing in the background over the, the winter and into the spring was he was staging the Point Church in Alberta to be the one place in Alberta best prepared to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to Alberta. God has been at work in Alberta, and when we remember that, when we remember that God has brought two churches to become one with almost no hiccups whatsoever, when we remember that, suddenly, suddenly this coronavirus pandemic doesn't seem like it's that big a deal because we're serving God, and he's, he's bigger than all of this. When we remember that God is the one that, we're working for, that we're serving God. Our opposition, somehow it's just not quite as intimidating. So when you encounter discouragement, when you encounter a setback as you're serving the Lord, when you encounter opposition, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then trust that he is who he says he is, that he remains faithful. You see, as we continue in our text, the Lord remained faithful in Jerusalem. In in verse 15, Nehemiah says that when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and and here what Nehemiah is talking about is their surprise attack plans. When, When the enemies heard that Nehemiah and his people knew about their surprise attack and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. God continued to faithfully protect his people as they served him. Do you see that right here in the text? You see, Nehemiah freely confessed that it was God who had frustrated their plans. It wasn't Nehemiah who had frustrated the plans. God had frustrated their plans. And we've got to understand this. We've got to get that as we're studying Nehemiah, Nehemiah isn't the hero of the book of Nehemiah. God is the hero. And so as God used Nehemiah to lead his people, they returned to the work. And then he says, starting in verse 16, from that day on, half my servants worked on the construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So again, we're seeing their trust in the Lord, and they continue to the work. And in the final verses of chapter four, we read how the men worked and guarded, dedicated to the task before them, working from sunrise to sunset to see the mission accomplished. Now, as we began today, I told you that the big idea that I wanted you to walk away with from chapter four is that in the face of opposition to God's work, pray, trust, and continue. And throughout chapter four, we've seen this pattern play out several times. Nehemiah and his men were ridiculed, so they prayed, they trusted, and they worked. And when their enemies gathered together and plotted an attack, they prayed and they set out guards. They trusted and they continued to work. When, when stronger threats Nehemiah came, Nehemiah charged them to remember their Lord. Opposition may come, setbacks may come, but, but when it does, let's Let's pray. Let's trust that our God is sovereign. Trust that he's in control. Trust that he knows what's going on. And then let's follow his lead as we continue the work that he's given us to do. You see, Nehemiah and his men encountered opposition to their work, but that wasn't an experience that was unique to them. As we serve the Lord, we may encounter opposition. We may encounter setbacks. That's okay. This week, up, up to this point in the sermon, I had been writing because I was going to preach in Perdido, and John was going to preach out in Alberta, and, and we were going to put the online service out, and, and that was the plan. But this week, I, I got word that um, because of my association with the Navy as an officer, I wasn't going to be able to come to the gatherings of the church And I'm not going to lie, that is heartbreaking to me. You want to break a pastor's heart, telling him he can't go to church. I wrote this sermon up to this point, and then I get this news. And I had good friends who came to me and reminded me, God is in control. So you can pray, and you can trust God, and then you can continue. You see... I didn't think I was going to preach the sermon to anybody, not even the camera, and that's okay. This sermon was for me this week because I needed to remember that when opposition comes, when setbacks come, pray, trust God, and continue the mission that he's given you. It's okay if we encounter opposition, just like Nehemiah and his men did, because there's another biblical example that we can follow. Remember, Jesus encountered opposition to the mission that the Father had given him to do as well. And and when we know that Jesus was a man who prayed, Jesus prayed all the time. He trusted the Father and he continued the mission in the face of opposition, in the face of his setbacks as his ministry was going And for Nehemiah, when when his for his people, as they were serving, and when things got scary, when they were in agony, even they they prayed, they trusted God and they continued, just like Jesus, who in the garden on the night when he was betrayed, as, as he prayed and was in agony, to the point where the Bible tells us that he sweat drops of blood as he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. He prayed. And then he continued as he trusted God. You see, Jesus prayed. He trusted the Father. He trusted that the Father knew what was best, and then he got up from his prayer, and he continued all the way to the cross. You see, the cross is the reason that we can continue on the mission. When when we encounter opposition, we can continue because of the cross. You see, Jesus' work at the cross is the reason that we press on. Because Jesus' work at the cross enabled the mission that he's given us. Jesus' finished work at the cross is the reason that we can pray because we know that God will hear our prayers. Jesus' finished work at the cross is the reason we know that we can trust God because God gave his only son to reconcile us to himself. And Jesus' victory over sin and death at the cross is the reason that we can continue on our mission in the first place because it's his mission to proclaim the gospel. You see, every, church is, every Sunday as we gather as a church in person, we recite what we call the Great Commission together. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're able to continue the mission in the face of opposition because it's Jesus's mission, because he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And as we consider Nehemiah chapter four, If if we can walk walk away with one thing, it's that big idea. In the face of opposition to God's work, pray, trust, and continue. Because we've got a mission to do. Jesus gave it to us. It's Matthew 28. That's our mission. So if we have setbacks, if we have opposition, if we're discouraged, we know that he's with us. So we can pray, trust, and continue. Let's pray. Father, God, as we look at your word today and we, we look at Nehemiah and we consider how he responded to opposition that came his way, God, would you help us? God, as we, we look at setbacks, as we're serving you, Would you help us to know that our first stop is always you, that we come directly to you. Help us to to come and know you, to love you and follow you, that you would give us what we need to stand up to opposition, whether it's energy or boldness or, or perseverance, that you would enable us to continue the mission that you've given us and that we would remember at all times that the mission you've given us, it's not our mission, it's your mission. And because it's your mission, you are with us as we go. And so we can continue. Would you be with us today and throughout the rest of the week? It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.